this uh, series called Neighbors and Loving Our Neighbors, I like this line I came across this week. You want to freak out your neighbors? Name your Wi-Fi network FBI surveillance van. I think that's really good. Uh, a fellow was complaining about his neighbor. He said, my neighbor knocked on my door at 2.30 a.m. this morning. Can you believe that? 2.30 a.m. Lucky for him, I was still up playing my drums. Yeah, that's neighborliness. Uh, you ever had an epic fail when it comes to being a neighbor? Have you? Yeah, I, I can think of an experience in my life where, uh, where our kids were young. We're off camping in a Soyuz. We're at this campground, and, and one night this, this, this family uh, moved in, and there were a couple tents over, and at like midnight, they're still up. They, they actually had brought a big truck, and they had couches that they'd put around the fire. I mean, comforts of home, all this kind of stuff, but they're loud, and they're talking, and I'm lying there stewing. I, a, I can't sleep, and I'm worried they're going to wake up our kids. And so I'm stewing, and I'm stewing, and stewing, and finally, I just shout out, shut up! Real pastoral Christian thing to do, right? Um, and It's funny, everything went quiet, and then you hear this kind of sheepish, sorry. <laughs> and it was quiet. Yeah, I've learned a lot about loving uh, neighbors since then. My family say, I, I really know how to do it well now. Just think it's hilarious. But we've been talking about what it might look like if we were truly neighborly. Um, if we're really living out this, what Jesus called the second of the most important commandments. Love God with all your heart was number one. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself, the second commandment. Uh, first week we talked about how we're to love our neighbors with the same kind of commitment and devotion that we put into loving ourselves. And, and we came to the conclusion that we actually can't do it. That, that we're going to fail at doing that, and we need God's help. We actually need to experience the love of Jesus. Uh, we owe people a debt of love, and the only way we can pay that debt is if we really understand that our debt has been paid. And, and so we enter into that, that love of, of Christ. We talked about how, how Jesus blows out of the water, expands our definition of who our neighbor is, you know, and that we're uh, not to just, our neighbor is not just those we like and love, or those that we're like. Our neighbor is also, Nina took it further last week, she talked about how our neighbors can be other nations, other people groups, other cultures different than ours, other backgrounds. Loving people that maybe up till now have been invisible to us. Have you ever had somebody that's been invisible to you? You don't even see them? And, and so we're called to look past our prejudices, our preconceived ideas, our, our, our ignorance, as I was thinking about that this week, I had a memory of one of the past Olympics. And uh, as I was thinking about this Olympics, uh, I remember sitting there watching a particular sporting event. And uh, as the, the sport's going on, there was a particular people group, uh, a nation that was featured. And, and uh, just this kind of growing awareness came over me as I'm watching this sport. It was kind of like God whispering to me, you don't like those people. And that just kind of, it, it was like a revelation to me. And, and, and here's the next thing that God said to me. He says, I do. I do. And uh, I, it was not like um, I felt guilty. It's, it's like I felt a little bit exposed. But I also felt like I captured or got an insight into God's love for all people, all nations. So when it comes to loving the neighbors, where might Jesus lead us? 
And I, I believe our text today illustrates that if we follow Jesus into this way of love, loving our neighbors as ourselves, we might be in for some surprises where it'll take us. We're in for some change. Uh, the, the kind of change I would say can change our, our city, that can change our community here. I, I'd say maybe more importantly, it'll, it'll change us if we get a hold of that kind of love. Um, the project, as I've heard someone once say, is, is not us getting out there and loving others. It's actually the kind of change that happens in us as we learn how to love. That, that's God's heart almost more than, than the outcome. It's God changing and transforming our lives so that we become more like him. So let's walk through this Mark, Mark 5 passage. Now Mark, uh, if you, you go back a chapter to, to chapter 4, he kind of sets the stage. And, and Jesus is there teaching by the Sea of Galilee. And we're told in, in verse 35 of chapter 4 that when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go on over to the other side, really other side of the Sea of Galilee. So they get into the boat, the disciples do, and this wicked storm erupts, and the disciples are like totally afraid, they're freaking out. I mean, the wind is blowing, and they're bailing water, and it's crazy, and what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping in the back of the boat, you know, and they're like, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown? And, and Jesus gets up, and he's just like, stop to the winds and the waves. And the storm stops. And uh, I'd say this freaks the disciples out even more. Verse 41 says, The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? Uh, Even the wind and the waves obey him. (laughs) They were already on this journey uh, with Jesus of learning what he was like. And and now they're, they're saying, Who is this guy that even the winds and the waves listen to him? This is why, by the way, that when, when Jesus says to us, and, and I, I believe this is one of his most frequent words that he wants to speak to each one of us, is when he says, do not be afraid, we can actually not be afraid. <laughs> because Jesus is, is proved in the story, and he's proved again and again that he's greater than the storm. Sometimes when we're in trouble, uh, does it not feel like we're going to get swallowed up by the trouble? <laughs> We're going to get kind of swallowed up by the storm. Doesn't, isn't that how it feels? You know, we're there and the, the water's rising and the wind is blowing furiously and we're bailing for, for dear life trying to just survive. And it's terrifying. But Jesus proved in that little sea crossing that, that when Jesus is with us, we'll never get swallowed up by the wind or the waves because he's more powerful than the wind. Someone, someone put, put it this way, Jesus sleeping in the boat is not Jesus being indifferent or uncaring. Jesus sleeping in the boat is confidence. And we can have his confidence because he's with us. So they, uh, gratefully, they make it to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But they're now in like foreign territory. This was not kind of their, Jesus' regular teaching circuit. This is, he's going quite astray here. Where they landed was a region called the Gerasenes. It's kind of a large region. It was adjacent to the seaside city of Susita, also known as Hippos. It's a, it was a Gentile area, uh, not Jewish. And, and it was part of what was called the Decapolis. You know the Decathlon? Ten sports? This is the Decapolis, ten cities, uh, all formed by Alexander the Great 300 years before. Um, a few years ago, Angel and I actually visited Susita. We, we were there. It's a picture. It's by the sea. Uh, it's kind of a remarkable place. And 
It's interesting. It's one of those places that when we went on this tour, our guide, as they sat us down there, said, okay, guys, uh, we don't want you straying from the path. We don't want you straying from the ruins of the city because of, of what's around this ruins. And basically, it's surrounded by minefields. <laughs> it's right beside the, the Syrian border, and so they've got minefields surrounding. So this is one of these things where, hey, no going for wayward strolls seeking to find your own way. Stick, stick to the path. Back in the first century, Sicida was ro- uh, home, I should say, to the Roman 6th Legion. And it would have been a, a thoroughly Greek and Roman town that would have been marked by wealth and, and, and violence and sexuality. And uh, according to the story, lots and lots of pork. Lots of pigs. That's what he ate. Not exactly a kosher environment for a God-fearing Jew. This was not Jewish territory. There would have been no Jews that would have lived in that area at all. So Jesus crosses over to this eastern side of the the lake, and the first one he meets is a man controlled by demons. And by the way, Jews hearing this story, well, of course you're going to meet an unclean man, an impure spirit. That's the unclean side of of that whole region of of the Sea of Galilee. I mean, this man, he was such an extreme, extreme case. He was so out of control that he was relegated to living among tombstones in a graveyard. you got to be pretty desperate to live at the graveyard, don't you? And, and we're told he was naked and he was bloodied from self-cutting and self-mutilation, cutting himself on the rocks. So here you have this out of control, this, this demon-possessed man in a graveyard beside a pig farm near a pagan Roman city. And the, the question is, what was Jesus doing there? This is no place for a respectable Jewish rabbi to go. So we know that he's not there on some uh, spiritual retreat or getaway or vacation. (laughs) There's this intentionality about Jesus crossing the sea to meet this naked, bloody, unclean guy in this unclean place. Before we uh, dive any deeper into the story, I want to just jump to two conclusions. Uh, We'll cut to the chase a little bit here. First, I think this story tells us that Jesus loves people on the other side. I think he does. He loves unclean people. He loves people that are far from God. He loves lost people. He loves people that are even opposed to God. He loves people that are so broken and so messed up that they are considered hopeless. Jesus loves people on the other side, the other side of the sea, the other side of about er- just about everything. And the second conclusion from this story is that Jesus asks us, invites us, urges us to go to the other side ourselves. Isn't that the, the point of the Good Samaritan story? <laughs> the, guy, the guy that goes to the other side of the road that, that actually steps out of comfort zone and, and, and addresses the, 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 the man beaten, dying on the road. Isn't that the, the point of, of the story of the lost sheep? Jesus, the, the good shepherd, leaving the 99 to find what? The one. And as we follow Jesus, he invites He invites us to to go to places and to connect with people that we might prefer to avoid. But we go because he asks us and because it's the way of love. Back to this man that uh, Jesus meets. Uh, It's obvious he's a pretty tormented guy. He's hurting himself. He's isolated. He's he's alone. And Mark focuses on on kind of one feature, uh, on his supernatural strength. This guy could not be tied down. The locals, because he was a dangerous man, a violent man, they tried to shackle him and chain him, but he could not be, be, be contained because he had this 
unexplainable supernatural strength. And, and throughout the, the, the Gospel of Mark, there's, there's this kind of emphasis on this theme of, of power or this theme of, of strength. We, we find this in, in Mark 1, verse 7, where, where John the Baptist says, After me comes one more powerful than I. Referring to Jesus, that the stronger one, we're told. We see this in Mark 3, 27, where Jesus says, Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Pointing again to himself, the the greater strength and power of Jesus. And so Mark is now talking about the strength of the power this man had, this this spiritual power that came from the enemy. the, The kind of power that Jesus came to set people free from, to deliver them. He'd already, in, this, in a story just before, shown his mighty power over the wind and the waves, and he's now about to demonstrate the same power over this, this man with supernatural strength. And Jesus was again going to show that he's stronger. C- cutting ahead in the story a little bit, uh, they have this interaction, and in verse 9, Jesus demands of this man, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion. Because there are many of us inside this man. So it's not, this guy, this guy is such a, a rough case that he doesn't have just one demon, he has many demons. And in fact, we know Legion was the number 2,000. Uh, Legion ref- would have referred, and there's so much going on in the story, there's so much detail here in this Mark, Mark account that we can't all get into, but easily this would have pointed to the Roman Legion that was parked right there in Sicita. I, I think easily it would have pa- pointed to the strength and power of Rome. But it also just showed that this man was seriously possessed. And then uh, going on, it says the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. The demons just don't want to leave. They become quite comfortable with their occupied territory. Now, I, I don't think in our culture that we tend to think a lot about demons. I mean, the church and other parts of the world actually do far more than we do. We kind of restrict them here, I think, to like horror films and such, and we don't necessarily like talking about them, but Scripture actually talks about the spiritual realm and, and reminds us that there is a spiritual realm that has a very real spiritual enemy, and we're often so unaware of it. Occasionally, I would say we get glimpses. Um, <laughs> I was thinking this week of when I was a young Christian, I was uh, going to Bible college in England. And I was on break at Christmas, and I was heading over to, to visit friends in Holland, and I was taking a night ferry. And uh, it's like a, this eight-hour voyage uh, across the English Channel. And, and as I'm on this boat, it, it's nearing the end of our voyage, and all the walk-on passengers are, are kind of gathering together in the departure area where we're going to leave the boat. And uh, I, I'm there, and I, and I actually had had this, this boat journey for me. I'd, I'd kind of had a... a, a turned it like into a prayer retreat, actually. I was journaling and praying, and it was kind of one of these really powerful nights for me. <laughs> like, you know, uh, sometimes when you pray after midnight, your prayers are more powerful. I don't know what that's about, but if you've ever done that, it's, it's kind of cool. And we're gathered in this departure area, and, and there's suddenly this woman who, uh, I think she was Dutch. She begins uh, acting out and acting strangely, and she's behaving just in weird ways, and she's kind of wandering around, kind of wondering, is she drunk or is she on drugs? And uh, she's mumbling incoherently in, in what I think was Dutch, but I'm not sure. And uh, 
And then, and she's kind of bumping around like this, and then she comes over to me and looks me directly in the eye, and she says, I know who you are, son of the Christ. Like, I mean, you've got to put that with a Dutch accent, but, you know, I know who you are. No, I can't do it. i German maybe, but i got to say I was kind of freaked out. She singled me out, and I, 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 I suspect it was something like, a, a little bit like this encounter where Somehow, uh, miraculously, she saw Jesus in me. This demonic presence, I think, saw Jesus in me. And for me, it was just a reminder. There's a, there's a real other realm kind of going on here. Um, we don't have usually many experiences of that sort of more obvious things, but I think sometimes we experience this kind of spiritual opposition or pushback or sense of that realm. We get glimpses of it in our everyday life. I've seen this. It seems almost like any time that, that we're taking steps of faith or, you know, uh, any time our, our church, for example, has decided to step out in a new type of outreach or, or uh, to, to reach our friends or whatever it might be, it's like, bam, something, you know, really hard happens in our midst. We're going, what was that? And it used to happen when we used to run the Alpha Course, which is an introduction to the, to the Christian faith. And we'd hear these consistent stories from people who, who they'd say, you know, I was, I was on my way to coming, but then on my way to your church, I, like, hit a cat. Or I, I just arrived, I was in the parking lot, and I got a phone call that my son fell and broke his arm. Or, or these kind of weird stories, or my, I was just leaving my, my home, and my son broke out in projectile vomiting or something like this. And, you're like, and, and it's, the stories were kind of too consistent uh, to go, the, the feeling was there's more going on. I, I actually think of um, earlier this year, we were having a leader's vision casting time here in this room. And uh, our elders chair, Dan, was up sharing. And while he was up sharing uh, about what God had been saying to us as elders, his wife was driving and she's getting sideswiped in an accident that was not her fault. She's not had a car accident, I don't think, her entire life. And she got slammed into and, and has been dealing with the consequences of that ever since. And I remember Dan saying, I don't think this was a coincidence. Um, I wonder, and I look at the story, and I think of Jesus and the disciples coming over to this other side of the Sea of Galilee, to this unreached people group, and what happens? They get hit by a storm. I wonder who was the cause of that storm that wanted to stop them in their tracks. Folks, while we don't, as a church, want to emphasize uh, demonic spiritual powers, but we don't want to be ignorant either. I mean, we find this all in Scripture that the Apostle Paul tells us that we're in for a fight uh, as followers of Jesus, uh, that the enemy is real, and he's, he's out and doing his thing and, and, and doing his work, and, and we need to be kind of conscious of that and aware of that. We battle not against flesh and blood, Paul says in Ephesians 6. He would go on to say and urge us, he says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I, I love that. That's a, a hopeful verse, by the way. It, this is not a battle that is lost. It, we're told that we can take a stand. Like we can actually wear armor and we can actually uh, resist successfully against the enemy's schemes. But we're not to be surprised by the battle we're in. We're in a fight. There are real powers at play. And that's also why we need to do what, what Paul says be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's why we pray. Well, this man that uh, we're reading about, he's uh, in a real battle. And, and it's clear that the enemy has the upper hand. But what does Jesus do? 
Jesus is fixed on freeing this guy. And he's already said to him, and, and he said, come out of this man, you evil spirit. And then verse 11, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. And so he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. What a scene. <laughs> I mean, I mean 2,000 pigs diving off this cliff to their deaths. It's, it's kind of crazy. And, and I, I think that, again, just illustrates how bound up this guy really was. But it also illustrates the power and authority of Jesus. They even had to ask him permission to go to the pigs. And the word about this event spreads. Verse 15. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons... He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. And then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Can you imagine that scene? It's actually quite a beautiful scene. There's Jesus, and, and now next to him is, is this guy everyone knew as the out-of-control, crazed, a violent guy who's been living like an animal, and suddenly he's sitting there completely transformed, normal, wearing clothes. He's in his right mind. He's fully restored. Now, how do the crowds respond? Actually, it's kind of funny. They respond really no differently than Jesus' disciples did earlier on in the, in the, in the boat. They're terrified. They're afraid, and they beg Jesus to leave. I think it's helpful to remember that the good news of Jesus doesn't always come across as good news to people. Uh, oftentimes, Jesus and his call to submit to his power, to his life, to his way, can be very, very threatening. And, and, and Jesus, as he proves in, in this story, he, he's got incredible power and he's unpredictable. Like, what is he going to do next? What will that power mean for my life? And it will have implications. And so Jesus doesn't force himself on these crowds. He actually uh, sort of goes along with their demands. And the, he and the disciples begin to leave. In verse 18 it says, As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. You know, the, the crowds are, are begging Jesus to go, and this man is, is begging to go along with him. He wants to go. I mean, it's just a complete opposite reaction. He's just, he just wants to be from Jesus. From Jesus, he had received freedom and restoration, and yet now he has hope, and he's got hope for a life, and he's like, I want what that guy has, and I want to go where he goes, and I want to follow him. And so he says to Jesus, let me go with you. What does Jesus say? He says, no. Go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. The man wants to go, and Jesus says no. Why? Because this man would, would go on to serve as a living example and testament to the reality of God's kingdom in that community that had no other witness or example. You know, he was perfectly placed or positioned to, to testify about the reality of God to his community. And, and I, I've said this before, I, I don't like being entirely redundant, but I want to say this to you folks. I, I don't think it's by accident that you live where you live. I, I, don't, I think it's an accident that you have the friends that you have or that you, 
you, you live in the environment or work in the environment you work in. God has perfectly positioned you to be good news to someone, to, to, to be a living testament and example of, of what God can do with a life. Sometimes we think going to the other side might literally be going to the other side of the sea. I think of people that have done that, who felt that call here in this room. Someone like Laura Menka, who, who's been working for the last five or six years down in, with at-risk youth in the downtown east side. I think of the amazing work she does and how God called her to leave her home and move to a, 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 what could be said a very threatening environment. I think of, of Gwen and Sheldon or Doug and Jill who have, have left the comforts of, of Canadian culture and have gone to parts of the world where it's dangerous to let it be known that you're a Christian. Um, but more often than not, God, I think, will, and, and God might lead some of you there, more often, I believe God calls us to be his witness and testimony here. And so as a church, we, we've taken this call to, to this really seriously enough to start praying into it. And, and we've been encouraging you to pray for two or three or, or four friends who, who God has put on your hearts. You know, having, having a little pebble or a rock that represents your friend to help you remember to pray for them. To, to ask God to shine his, li- his light on their lives. And, and we've invited you to do that, hoping that that'll also change our hearts for our neighborhood as, as we begin to pray into our neighbors. That's one way of loving them, is praying, praying for them. By the way, uh, some of you have said that your first rock has been me, that you've been praying for me. And, uh, you know, that's probably a good thing. I, I, I know I, I need prayer. That's maybe far too obvious for some of you. Thank you for your prayers. I'd say get a bigger rock for me. Um, I'd say take my rock and give it to somebody else that you know in your community. Keep praying for me, but but this is really our our desire is to pray for those who are on the other side, who are uh, not yet of faith, that God would bring uh, his hope to their lives. This is part of loving our neighbor as ourselves, being willing to share the hope we found in Christ. Uh, what do we share? Like this man, we, we just simply share our story. It, it, it might not make sense to the people that we share it with, but we can, we can say, and, and, and this is not a threatening thing to say, we can say, God changed my life. God turned my hopelessness into hope. Uh, a friend of mine this week said uh, a good sales technique is, is feel, felt, found. And you can say, I, I, I feel, when you, when you meet with somebody, you can say, I feel where you're coming from. I felt that too. Here's what I found in Christ. Here's what Jesus has done for me. Feel, felt, found. I, I think we could do that. Um, by the way, uh, every once in a while, um, I, I, somebody might say to me, Derwin, why don't you preach more hellfire and brimstone? And uh, I actually don't do that because of the earlier me. When I was a new Christian, I used to argue people into the kingdom of God. I was pretty belligerent, and, and it's kind of funny. I took the, the gospel, which is God's love and kindness and compassion in Jesus, and I would shove it in people's faces. And I realized there was a bit of an irony there. That's not exactly maybe a winsome approach. Jesus was not like that. And so I, I don't think we're meant to scare people into God's kingdom uh, or, or be rude with the message of Jesus. You never saw Jesus doing that. His message was always, ra- it was always truth, 
wrapped in kindness. His instruction to the man, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he's been. And so we're called to do that. So what happens to our guy? Verse, verse 20. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told him. Notice, he didn't just go and tell his family. He couldn't not tell everyone. He, he began sharing his testimony. He began sharing his story of his, his changed life. And, and here's what happens in that community when he begins to do this. Listen to what happens. When, when God gets a hold of a life, there can be an amazing ripple effect that happens that can change an entire community. In the Gospel of Mark, the first time that Jesus goes to the other side of the sea, he's greeted by one man. The second time he goes, we find this in in Mark 6, he's actually greeted by a small group of people. The third time he goes, in Mark 8, there's a crowd and then followed by a very large crowd. And uh, we all kind of know the story of the feeding of the 5,000, right? The five loaves, two fishes. Do you remember that story, feeding of the 5,000? Do you remember that there's also the feeding of the 4,000? Do you know where the feeding of the 4,000 happened? On the other side of the Sea of Galilee. That's where it happened, with this people group. You know, and, and, and so, you know what the majority of Jesus did on the other side of the sea? It wasn't preaching. We don't, actually don't have, really have record of him doing that much teaching and preaching, but what did he do? He healed and free, freed people and fed people. He was blessing people, freeing people, delivering people. And you know what? I, I know that we're called to share our faith. We're, we, we need to get our, 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 the word out. But I'm also convinced that we don't need so much as a, an, an evangelism strategy as we need a blessing strategy. That we're called to go into our life and, in, and by blessing people, invite people into this way of Jesus. Primarily through blessing. Looking to bless and heal people wherever you go. And if, and, and if we're like that, opportunities for sharing the hope that we have in Christ will come naturally. By the way, years later when uh, <laughs> that whole town of Hippos and, and Sicida became Christian, the whole community, and it all started with one guy, one awfully broken, spiritually corrupted, naked, bloody guy that met Jesus. Um, I shared already, it was six years ago that Angel and I were uh, taken to the Sesita, the ruins of this village, this community, and, and we were there actually reading this story and contemplating it. And it was there, just like the Olympic story where I heard God's whisper. I heard God's invitation in that spot. Derwin, you need to go to the other side. You've been playing it safe, and you need to kind of get out of the boat and, and walk. You need to get out there and, and begin uh, bringing my good news to people from, for, for people that are far, far away. And up to that point, I, I think I, I was not a bad pastor, but uh, uh, my life was entirely filled with church people. And I came back from that experience in Israel, and, and uh, we became determined. I, I, I made a decision there on that hillside uh, by the Sea of Galilee that, that other people were going to begin to mean more to me. The people on the outside, people on the other side were going to be mean, mean more to me, and I made that decision. I wonder this morning, have you made that decision? Have, have you come to that place where you believe those people truly matter to God? I mean, this story, doesn't that illustrate this very fact? Is, is that how much the, uh, people matter to God? People who are far from God, how much they matter to Him? Isn't that what we see in the story? 
And for me, I, I, I came back and, and I just began to pray and, and uh, I didn't do any heavy lifting on this. I, I, I did start moving from my office and, and I made, had a second office at a coffee shop. And uh, when I went to that coffee shop, I was there to actually read my Bible and journal and, and prepare sermons. Well, I found I never got that work done because I began meeting people and it opened up relationships, friendships, and, and uh, to the place where um, I, I'd say Angel and I have gone more to, to the pub to be with unchurched people more in the last six years than my entire life before that uh, because I feel like God's called me there. And it's not always been easy. It's not always been comfortable. I, 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 we haven't found perfect community there, but it's amazing how God has opened amazing doors for us to share God's hope with people. Have you made, made that decision? Uh, you know, I, I think we can sometimes feel uh, outmatched uh, when we actually meet real broken people, actual broken people in, in this world, like, like this guy, people in trouble. But if there is anything that this story in Mark 5 teaches us is that no one is beyond hope. No one's beyond hope. Isn't that, if God can do this for this guy, what can he do for that, that person that you know that is beyond hope? Or even more so, what can he do for you? I, I mean, what, what is that place in your life that you need freedom from? You're, you're bound up. Cannot the God, the, the, the Lord, the stronger one, do in your life what he did in his? Absolutely he can. Jesus is stronger. So why don't we, um, I'm going to invite the team up. We're going to take some time just to pray. So why don't you bow your heads with me? Let's pray into this this morning. Maybe this is a a chance for you, like it was for me on that hillside uh, years ago, to respond today. To maybe make a decision. Maybe for you, life's gotten comfortable or contained or safe and uh, and yet you're hearing this morning this whisper from Jesus. Let's go to the other side. Let me ask you, are you willing to step out, step to the other side wherever Jesus might lead you by his spirit? If you sense God asking you that today, just I'd encourage you to respond. Talk to Jesus about this. Say yes, I'll go, or, or say no, I'll, I, I'm not going, but I'm prepared for you to, to speak into that part of my life, God. But I encourage you to, to, to consider that invitation. Maybe this morning you're, you're thinking that uh, you don't really have a testimony. You know, you, you can't think of wh- where God has delivered or freed you from. Why do you ask Jesus this morning for a testimony? Ask him to to step into your life, to step into your need, into that place where you need his deliverance and his freedom. I I, want to say this this morning, Jesus just sensed that he longs to do that for you. Longs to. (laughs) Maybe for some uh, of you this morning, you've been in a battle. You feel like you're just kind of beaten up. You've been in a spiritual fight. May you know that the one who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. May you come to know that the battle is the Lord's. You just need to be strong. 
in the Lord and in his mighty power. And so, Lord, Father God, Almighty God, as you have shown us your great mercy and love, teach us, Lord, what it means to bravely and boldly share your love with the world that you love so very much. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.